So, you want to become a doctor. Well, there's a few things you need to know. Hello and welcome to A Doctor's View, a podcast looking at everyday health topics and life through a doctor's eyes. Please note that all opinions are my own and should not replace the advice given to you by your own doctor. I'm Dr. Bolivios. Let's begin. Hello everyone and thank you for joining me. Today I'm going to discuss some things that they don't tell you before you become a doctor, namely 10 specific things. And the reason why I decided to make a compilation of this of these details is because there are a few things that I wish I had known um, before applying for medical school. Would it have changed my mind? Well, I'll let you know at the end. So, firstly, it's expensive. There's no two ways of uh, getting around this. And the reason why is, is very simple. It's a five-year course minimum. Um, there are some other fast track um, courses that you can apply for but they usually require you to have undergone a previous degree before so I'm going to ignore them for this. So five years you had to pay for the first four years um, of which you had £9,000 a year in tuition fees. So this is £36,000 just in tuition fees alone. This does not include your accommodation, does not include your food, doesn't include the books that you need to buy it doesn't include your transports, all these things that you need for everyday life. It doesn't actually include going out. You are a student after all. You do need to have some fun as well. So even before you've uh, received your first paycheck, you are thousands and thousands in debt. Um, it wouldn't be unreasonable. Let's see what, 36000 plus I don't know how much it's going to cost to you. But let's say what, 60,000? I don't know. But you're talking huge, huge amounts of money uh, that can take people half a lifetime to pay off because of the amount that they um, have to pay. It's a small a small percentage of your paycheck goes each month towards your student loan. Um, but it's like having another mortgage to some extent. The other thing is, even after you qualify, you've got all these other costs that you didn't really think about. So you have your um, license that you have to pay for each year to to practice medicine that is 420 430 pounds a year you've got union costs if you wish to join uh, the union that's several hundred pounds a year you have things like courses so just things like um, a life support course um, can cost several hundreds of pounds you have to do them they are Often you will find them being funded if you're in training, if you're out of training, you have to, um, this is out of your own pocket and trying to claim things back can be an absolute nightmare. More often than not, you don't see the money, at least that's personal experience. You have exams to pay for. So there's, I'll talk about exams in a bit, but there's there's several exams that you have to take, postgraduate exams if you to, to further your career, depending on the specialty that you want to do. They are not cheap. The first part may be several hundred pounds. The second part can be in the thousands. And then the final parts can be even more expensive. You've got your insurance. To be fair, this isn't the most expensive thing in the world when you first start because it, it relies on the fact that your responsibilities are going to be lower than, say, a consultant or someone who's higher up. But these do increase quite high, quite quickly. 
and it's still an extra cost. You've got your textbooks just to bypass questions, um, like question banks. The, these all these things all all cost a lot of money. Nothing nothing is cheap. So these are all the sort of hidden costs that you don't really think about. Secondly, you move around a lot. Um, I think if there's something that's impacted me the most in in being a doctor is the amounts you have to move around. Um, and to some extent, there is some randomness about it. So until you become a consultant somewhere, you're always you're always moving around. You can become more established later on um, when you when you're in that middle grade. You can be in, say, a deanery. Now the NHS is is for those that don't know is broken up into into various deaneries. So you could have the London deanery, you could have uh, the Kent Surrey Sussex deanery, the East Midlands deanery, all, all these um, all these various deaneries. And within these deaneries are different trusts. So you can go to um, have your training in a specific deanery. But some of these deaneries are massive. So you don't know which hospital you're going to be in uh, potentially from one year to the other within that deanery. And a lot of the time this will still involve you having to move. Despite being in this established training job, you still have to move around. And this can be quite um, challenging. It's not an easy thing to do. If you can imagine a time where you've moved moved house or moved flat, imagine having to do that on a on a regular basis. Sometimes, um, rarely, but sometimes even a six monthly basis. But say on average, once every year, once every couple of years, you have to move. To do this, one, it's expensive. Um, you often end up chucking a load of things because you've got no space to um, put them in or you've got, got no means to move them around. Also, the stress of it, you have to keep changing electricity supplies, your broadband supplies, water, gas, all these things that um, you wouldn't normally expect to do on a, on a regular basis. You're having to start to do, or at least there was a point in my life, on a yearly, yearly basis. This is very, very difficult. Um, I remember one time I actually... I'd, I thought I was very organised, made a list of all the things I had to cancel before moving to another um, another place. And uh, about a year and a half to nearly two years later, I had a phone call from um, from a, a debt collection agency. Um, and what it turned out was that I had forgotten to cancel the water waste um, bill, something like that. It was about £7. But anyway, they, they'd sent court letters, etc. Um, and they eventually found me. And I, I, I of course, I had actually no idea what, what they were talking about. Eventually, we phoned the water company and found out that it was this £7 bill that was overdue. And with, with costs, it ended up being about £50, £60, something like that. So, of course, it was paid and all of that was dealt with. But it, 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 all these little things are, can be quite stressful. Um, number three, you can never say yes to invitations. Um, now, this this can have quite some contention between between family members because you you get cousins or relatives or friends um, asking you, can you come to my wedding? Can you do it? And you can't often say yes. And the reason is you don't always get your rota 
that far in advance. There are guidelines now, and it has improved depending on where you work. It should have improved, um, stating that you should have, I think, six weeks now to get your your rotor. Sometimes this isn't always the case, and six weeks, knowing what you're doing six weeks in advance isn't always um, long enough. Um, so it can make things quite quite challenging to say, I will let you know, and people do get a bit tired of it. Yes, they do expect it because there is an element of understanding in, in, in what you do, and they know it's not easy, but it's quite frustrating, um, and you always want to go to things. Things are usually take place at weekends. And despite what Jeremy Hunt tells you um, or has told you in the past, we do work weekends. And this can be very, very difficult to um, to actually negotiate. And then you have to go down the line of swapping shifts, which can equally be difficult. Finding someone that you can swap with is hard sometimes. So this is just an added, added stress. Not the end of the world, but it's just a stress that people don't Really, you don't really think about too much before you apply for medicine. Fourthly, exams do not stop, at least until you are very well established and, say, a consultant. And this is true for quite a few professions in, you know, be it law, be it accountancy, be it, you know, it's, it's not the only profession where, where this type of uh, postgraduate learning takes place. But one thing I will say, they... They can dominate your life for quite some time, some of these exams. They can be very difficult. And what makes them difficult is when you were a student, your entire profession was to study, as the name implies. You had no other job. Your job was to pass your exams at the end of the year, do your assignment for that month or that term, and you had nothing else. Yes, you had financial strains and you had, you know, the usual student um, worries but on the whole that was your responsibility now you've you've qualified you've still got these exams some of which are well all of which really are incredibly difficult to progress and um, without passing them you cannot progress you have to stay at the same level until you can pass them to allow you to move on to the next stage in your training and not only are they very expensive, the courses for them are very expensive, um, just to get past, past questions expensive, but you're also working at the same time. So you have all of life's problems, um, be it, you know, be it relationship problems, be it um, your, your, you have other commitments, you have, may have children, you have all of these things. And at the same time, you go to work, you have the shift pattern for work. And you have to go home and revise for several hours each night or each morning um, to pass these exams. This is not an easy thing to do. Um, and it's it's something that, yes, it's not a deal breaker. Of course, you kind of know this a little bit um, before you start medical school. You expect it. But I think what you don't get told is just how much it can can impact you. Um I, I certainly know from personal experience it, it's quite a it's quite a challenging thing. So that's exams. Five, work does not end when you go home, and this follows on from you go home, you revise for your exams. But let's let's assume you haven't got examinations coming up, you, you or you've passed them, so you don't have revision to worry about at that moment. 
you still have other things to do. You still have perhaps updating your logbooks. You still have to update your um, portfolio. You have to keep a professional portfolio. That's an interesting topic in itself, actually. But uh, you have to do things like that. You've got audits to do. You may have a paper to research. You may have to prepare teaching for your peers. All these things are outside of work in your own hours. You do not get time during the day allocated to, to do these things. So it's an extra thing to have to think about. It's not your normal nine to five job. It it's, can be quite continuous. So you know, my, my advice is when you when you have annual leave, you try and embrace it. And even then, annual leave can be difficult to obtain. You have to sometimes swap shifts in order to, to get that leave or they may be pre-assigned to you. These are... These can be quite stressful because you may not want to go on holiday the time where you've been assigned leave or the time where you can actually take leave. Um, I know a lot of people that go through the whole uh, year, they take their leave that they can and by the end of the year they, they are unable to use up all their days of annual leave. So they may have worked, you know, been at work for a week where they didn't have to be. But unfortunately there was there was no time for them to take it. Um, number six, let's be a little bit controversial, is you don't earn that much in that you don't go into medicine to make big bucks. And yes, you there's, you can be perfectly comfortable, absolutely perfectly comfortable being, being a doctor. But in the beginning, at least, uh, you do not earn that much. And that takes into account the fact that you have this huge um, tuition fees to pay off. You have all these extra costs that I've, I've spoken to you about already. So by the time you actually take it all in and think about what you can save, it's very, very little, um, especially when you factor in inflation and how little our pay has gone up, um, if at all, actually. I, I can't remember the, the figures, um, if at all, over the last few years. So life is more expensive now and... Sadly, when you start out, don't expect a big, big paycheck. So number seven, this is relationships. Um, relationships, as I'm sure you can imagine, they can take a toll. And I don't just mean personal relationships. Um, firstly, you don't always work, end up working in the same place as, say, your, your girlfriend or your boyfriend um, or your husband even or your wife. You may be split up at some point. Yes, there are ways to try and uh, make sure that you, you, you do uh, end up in, in similar areas. But at least until you're established, it can be very, very difficult to promise that you're going to be in the same area. Um, relationships can end as a consequence of being long distance. Um, I, I, can, I know a few people who have um, experienced this. Um, also... It can be quite lonely if you're changing hospitals every few every few months, be it every six months or even every year. Your friends change; um, they go off the, the the people that you've got to know and trust. They've gone to do different things, different places. You've gone to do something else. You meet a new group of people. This is not easy. Um, you don't form that that stability that you had say at school or that you have say in a regular nine to five job where you 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 know the people day in day out 
and you make friendships, relationships, and, and they last. This is a very dynamic, you have very dynamic relationships with people. Um, you may get to know someone very, very well for six months, and then all of a sudden, um, you've gone from uh, going out for, for drinks or for coffee or, or having lunch together on a regular basis to not being able to meet up with these people and, and having a new batch of people join you. It can, it can get a little bit lonely sometimes. Um, of course, everyone's different. Some people find it very, very easy to make friends. Other people find it a bit more difficult. And this is just the general things that we have to contend with in life. But I'm just saying it can be a little bit more lonely than, say, perhaps a more regular job. Um, moving jobs actually is number eight. And the reason why I've made this its own thing is moving jobs all the time is really, really stressful. Um if you're going around every six months uh, or every four months moving from one hostel to another or a different department to another, there are things that you don't know. And that is um, each hostel you go to, you have a trust induction or a new hostel induction. You have to contend with occupational health and human resources, um, which I, you can have very mixed experiences with. You have to contend with the fact that you can always guarantee your first pay slip is going to be incorrect and you have to argue for several hours to try and get that um, uh, rectified. Um, changeover day is typically a Wednesday and you can finish a night shift on Wednesday morning from your previous job and be expected to start your new job on Wednesday. Now, realistically, of course, this doesn't happen and someone has to give, be it the hostel you've just left or the hostel you're joining, there's got to be some understanding there. Um, But as you can imagine, neither hostel really wants to give. So you're caught between a rock and a hard place and you've got to kind of formulate something, some form of compromise by yourself. Um, But you could finish a job on technically on a Tuesday and then be in a completely different part of the country on a Wednesday. This has happened to me. It's extremely stressful. Um, you can't always get annual leave for the days that you, you, you the last last couple of days that you want to um, to have time to move, and especially if you're on call. So you have to do this the whole moving process, finding a new place. You've got to do this whilst you're working, and this is to me one of the worst things um it kind of fits in with the moving around a lot and my my second point um but actually moving jobs itself is also very stressful it's there's a lot to do imagine how think back to childhood when how how uh, scary it was moving from one school to another um this is kind of the same thing you you feel vulnerable you feel out of your depth you feel your it's a new environment it's scary you don't know who you're going to work with you don't know who you're going to meet you don't know the system you don't know where the canteen is all these little things these are stress little stresses that we have that don't really fit with a a healthy healthy work-life balance but unfortunately they these are just part of part of being being a doctor um where are we so you've got your new job you've got your um, you've moved around you've um, you know we've understood that all these different things can can have um, have their own problems and then there's another thing that people don't tell you and that is the job itself can be stressful now you may think this is an obvious thing to say we've all watched ER we've all watched casualty and and all the various uh, dramas on TV but there are aspects of the job that you you can't 
prepare for because you haven't experienced these things on the whole. You haven't experienced these things in life at, up until the point where you experience them at your job. And so you don't really know how you're going to react, how you're going to cope with them. For example, you always want to do what's best for your patients and and uh, you want to be the best doctor you, you can be. There's times where you will have a bleep that won't stop going off. There's times where you cannot physically do the the job that you feel is 100% because you have no time. And these are really big stresses for, for people that go into medicine to to want to do the best they can for patients, but you end up being in an environment that's short-staffed, that you know, um, you're highly stressed. You, what you've got to do is walk past an A and E unit uh, on a Friday night or uh, on a weekend at least, and you can see how how stressful it can be. Um, just it just looks stressful. Never mind having to work in this environment and all of these things. You don't know how you're going to react until you've been thrown into that environment. Even things like if you're working on intensive care, you're constantly surrounded by very very sick people. Um, it could be the the first time you see uh, someone pass away, uh, the first time you've had to break bad news to um, a relative. And all these things are very stressful to someone, uh, especially the first few times you do them, or sometimes even later on down the line. We all know, uh, we've all read articles about um, doctors suffering with with depression or having uh, mental health problems at some point in their careers. And all these things don't help. And this is another thing that I think we, we do need to take seriously. And it's something that you have to ask yourself before starting uh, a vocation like medicine. If you're someone who is of a certain predisposition that you know you're not going to cope well with this type of thing, then you have to ask yourself, what can I do to rectify this? Um, is there someone I can talk to to rectify this? Or is this is this a profession I, I should really be going into? More, not because you won't be a good doctor, but just for your own mental well-being and, and safety. We're all different and we all have different strengths and weaknesses. So it's something you have to really ask yourself. Lastly, um, I've put on my list, it can be thankless. Uh, I've put this as number 10, and this may not be so relevant to uh, a lot of the, the newer doctors coming coming through the system. But we're often taught that about the effectiveness of training by humiliation and how being shouted out will make us better doctors. But let me tell you from personal experience, when you're training and you're being sworn at for holding a surgical instrument badly, this is not training to me. This is this is bullying, you know. Um, learning by definition implies that trainees do not possess the same level of knowledge as their teachers. It's like trying to learn to play a musical instrument. We, we can't expect to play a new piece of music faultlessly on the first attempt. So being victimised, embarrassed for each mistake, it doesn't make you as a trainee perform the task correctly the next time. Unfortunately, it's just make, it makes you more scared to want to try. And, and that's sad, you know, when you don't have that confidence to want to try something under under supervision to to get be good at it you know and like i say i am talking about more times of old and and things have improved hugely at least from my experience 
the reason why I wanted to put that in is more because there are there are doctors out there now who did train under these kind of conditions. Uh, yes, they are of a different generation, but a lot of them have had to put up with this at some point. What is perhaps more relevant nowadays is not so much thanklessness from other members of staff, it's more thanklessness from patients. There, There is a huge level of expectation now and that's just our, our human nature, that's just the way we've evolved. We want things done quicker, we we feel we have a, a certain right to things and that's, that's absolutely fair enough. But there is a, a huge pressure on um, on doctors in in hospitals to try and to try and manage these expectations in a in a safe way and it can sometimes not commonly but it can lead to um, being shouted at can lead to being sworn at it has happened um, it does go on and these are all all things that can be very very stressful to someone and it can make you go home and and think about your day and be very very miserable and so these are all the things that you need to be aware of and in within the hospital they they carry on outside the hospital be it with say the new contract and jeremy hunt and his uh lack of appreciation for for what we've do what we do um and for what all nhs members and care workers do um contrary to what he says but you know this is a this is a different different topic altogether anyway so that's a a rundown of 10 things that i found i would have loved to have known about before starting medical school why because it may have helped shape the way i uh viewed medicine would it have changed uh, what I had chosen to do, would I have chosen not to do medicine if someone sat me down, gave me all these, all these things, all these li- this list of of ten things, and maybe even more? The answer to that is no, it wouldn't, and I don't think I'm alone in that. And the reason is, is uh, like I'm sure many many doctors, if not all the ones I've met, anyway. Um, we love our jobs and there is a reason for that and that reason is allows us to do some of the things that we have always dreamed of um the ability to that that one good day you know you may have 10 bad days but it's, it's that one good day um where you feel that you've you've made a difference it may be few and far between in depending on the specialty you're in the hospital you're in what you see on a daily basis but everyone can think of that one good day where you think, yeah, I I did good or we did good. And that's, that's what keeps you going. Um, so, yes, all these things are, you know, can be quite unpleasant. The moving, the um, occasional lack of appreciation, you know, the, the expense of, of becoming a doctor. Yes, these are all 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 things that make get somewhat more unpleasant, but no job is perfect, no vocation is perfect, and that's what it is. It's a vocation. So I don't want to put anyone off wanting to uh, do medicine. It is a it is a fantastic profession. It is not for everyone. 
and this is not suggesting that it's because people can't do it, it will not make everyone happy. And the important thing is to always do what makes you happy. doesn't matter what that is. It really doesn't. I left uh, a specialty to, to join another, despite having committed a good amount of time in that specialty. So I'd start again from a beginning um, to do a new specialty. The reason why I left, it didn't make me happy. Um, so it you have to always do what you feel is the correct thing to do. Medicine is one of those things where whilst it wouldn't these things wouldn't have changed whether I want to do it or not, I will say that you have to want to do it. Um, and the reason I say that is if you take all these things that I've said, plus I'm sure many more that others can think of, and you're, um, you have to deal with all those things whilst doing something that you don't particularly want to do. Your heart's not quite in it. It's a, it's a recipe for disaster. Uh, yeah, it's going to cause you to have some form of breakdown. It, it's not right. You have to make sure that you, you want to do it. You've got to acknowledge that there is there are certain difficulties with it and there are certain lifestyle choices that um, that come along with being a doctor. Uh, and even just just the duration of study, you know, the the five six years that you need to to study to become a, a doctor, to become a, a foundation year one doctor, you know, these are these are not small sacrifices. Um, now, they are, in my view, from a personal experience, any sacrifice I've made to to get there, yes, to me it's worth it. But that's because I wanted to do it, and that's what I have to say just you have to want to do it so I hope this has been somewhat insightful to to those listening you may be a junior doctor you may be a fully fledged consultant but um, if you are um, remember competence and kindness are not mutually exclusive and with that I will leave you thank you very much for listening and as always please look after yourselves if you do have any topics that you want me to discuss in a future show, please email me. Um, the email is in the description of this podcast. And I look forward to joining you again. I'm Dr. Bolivios. Goodbye. <laughs>